the sweet part was uh, just kind of kind of hanging out and having a cube event that mattered, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Even if the cube wasn't that great, in my opinion. I know. I mean, cubing for stakes is always more fun, right? Lee is one of the few people in the world who got to do it before this cube open. My my most money earned is from cube. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like the last invitational was it the second to last or the last invitational before covid second to last one it was in 2018 yeah when i did the cube thing but we signed we got snowed in really badly and we top aided the cube thing and then we had to hang out in the convention center and there were like 15 people in there total because they had closed down and we're just doing the envy top eight and the cube top eight so we were just sitting there like eating the pizza that they gave to us waiting for everything to finish up do you i don't know if you guys were playing back in like 20 probably like 2013 2014 scg circuit there was this this open that everyone called scg snowmageddon it was in <laughs> scg indianapolis and it just like snowed so horribly bad that just nobody could drive home and everything was closed so the convention center like hallways just had like people just people but like it, it was weird it was like a new society was being formed like there was like a few judges and a bunch of people threw in for like side tournaments i won a taiga playing in one of these like just <laughs> hallway, hallway informal <laughs> informal community organized <laughs> tournaments it, That's it was a good time. I was taking a hiatus because of law school at that point. Sure, but. sure. I did one draft of cons during that period. I got two fetches and a Sarkin in my draft. <laughs> uh, and then I just didn't play it again. Can't, can't top <laughs> this one. Did you remember, like, limited in those cons and dragon sets with all the morphs? And for, like, the first half of the season, like, the rules kept changing around, like, morph penalties. Yeah. So, like, mm -hmm. if you, like, beat someone and didn't reveal your morph, it was a game loss for a while. Yeah, I it was crazy. I, I watched a lot of coverage during that time, and it was always entertaining, like, <laughs> when the game ended and the camera didn't pan away immediately. It was, like, kind of got awkward sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> when I played, I, I played at the end when Dragons of Turkey was in standard. I, I played the, what's it called, Crush of Tentacles deck, and the only morph in that deck is Dim Protector to regrowth the, the crush tentacles and that's a loop right and i remember one game i played i beat my opponent and i at the end of the game i revealed i didn't know like how much the rules had changed or anything because i had played you know the previous morph eras so at the end of the game i'm like and my morph was didn't protector after i beat him and he's like yeah i know idiot <laughs> like, oh, okay. i have to do this <laughs> Welcome to episode 274 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rappel. With me is Lee McLeod. Haley. Oh, hi, Chris. Sorry, and, I, I know you were waiting for that. I you were, no, I thought you were ramping up to our, our special guest. No, we, we do the... Yeah, I know, but we do the normal... Yeah, me and you as the hosts, and then our special guest for this week, Ash... AKA Shutter MTG, AKA the Queen of Yogg Moth. Ash, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks so much for having me. I think it's really cool to have you here, partially because you just reached out and we chatted a little bit because you listen to the show and it's always cool to have an opportunity to get somebody who is a listener who also like has something to say and a reason to come on the show. But we also really liked the article that you wrote and thought that it would be cool to get you on to talk about the perils of practicing badly at MTG. Uh, but uh, before we get into stuff, do you want to talk a little bit about yourself and just so people can get an idea of your like history with magic and what you've been up to lately? Yeah, sure. My name is Ashlyn Johnson. Most people just call me Ash. I sort of have like a card shop kid history, just growing up in card shops my whole life, playing Yu-Gi-Oh! from like a very young age, then kind of transitioning into magic when I was maybe... 14 or 15 and took a pretty traditional route from like playing locals and then playing more locals and branching into the SCG IQs and local 2Ks and stuff back in the day. And from there, I really just fell in love with competitive magic and traveling to events and to today, it's just kind of what I like to do what I'm always looking forward to do every weekend. Yeah, and you made it to the Pro Tour, this most recent regionals, right? So we can look forward to seeing you battling some... Is the Pro Tour Pioneer too? I don't even know now. I, I missed it, it so I stopped caring about it. This one's Pro. This one's Pioneer, the next one's Standard. The one after that is Pioneer. Yeah, right, right. I nearly qualified with 48th and up, right? I, I ended up getting 47th. What's funny is if that guy didn't get DQ'd for the whole collected company thing, I would have gotten exactly 48, <laughs> which <laughs> is a very weird tournament that I naturally drew around one. Oh, I, I came close. I went to time and had to uh, convince my opponent that my time walk on the stack <laughs> that would go to turn six was enough. The concession probably made sense, but it was not great to be in that spot. No, for sure. You, you got to really cheer for the person at 48th though, who got you know, qualify for the pro tour of someone else's disqualification. Yeah, it's got to feel <laughs> feel real good, I guess. Yeah, they've got the story, wherever they are. Yeah, you almost had the story. I, I thought there were a couple pass downs. I, I believe that's mm. how it worked if you were already queued. Yeah, I think I, you're right. I'm not familiar with the rules. I believe it, but it's unusual because Watsi has not been doing pass downs for a while. But I guess that when they're trying to bring back the pro tour, it just makes it sense. It is sort of out of character for them. That's too good of a policy. Yeah, it just makes too much sense. <laughs> so you recently wrote an article about, you know, your experiences with bad practice in Magic and how that's kind of changing your philosophy on tournament prep. I definitely am excited to get into that. Do you want to talk just a minute about the Cube Open that happened this weekend and the Arena Cube? Just because that's the Magic that I've been playing lately. So I don't want to take too much time to talk about it. But it was fun. I really, really enjoyed the open format. You can play best of one or best of three on day one. And then day two, you have two drafts. You get a three one or better. And then you get into the second draft. And then the second draft is where you are playing for money. If you did not take a loss during the first draft, then you get like an extra loss to give. And then if you get, you know, you just try to get enough wins to get 500 or a thousand or $2,000. I, I thought the format was really, really good. I got there with my first draft on day one, which felt pretty nice because I didn't know how much, how many gems I wanted to just like throw into the abyss pursuing day two of this thing. Unfortunately, my draft on day two just didn't really go that well like the good colors weren't open 
and uh, this cube unfortunately felt kind of color imbalanced to me the green and blue cards were like noticeably significantly worse than the red white and black cards red in particular just had like bangers at every single mana cost like all the way down and you would be getting like whatever red card is in your 14th pick is still like a card that you're happy to play and then you contrast that with like there's like 30-ish cards in the cube that are just straight up unplayable given the speed of the cube and so there was some stuff that i would really like to fix about the cube itself and unfortunately the good colors just weren't open which made it very difficult for me to draft a good deck that's really the only like bad thing at all that i have to say about it is like please you know work a little bit on this cube i thought it was so funny the number of times they heard Ooh, shieldred wait no that's the bad one <laughs> yes there's <laughs> four mana shieldred which is an unbeatable card and seven mana shieldred which you gotta have a pretty special deck in order to actually want to put a seven mana card in your I deck mean, i've certainly dr- drafted um oath of teferi thinking it was very hero of dominaria <laughs> yeah I, I did that in a dominaria draft it was very embarrassing <laughs> yeah that's a beating <laughs> but the experience of playing cube for stakes game five or six of my day one draft my watch beeped and i looked down and it was like you've hit your like activity goal for the week at 150 minutes and i realized that like my heart rate was going up in that game because it was like a really really close game against an opponent with a really good deck and i like was doing everything i could to stay in the game and i must have been just like stressing about it and my watch like figured that out and was like good job exercising today (laughs) so uh clearly i was into it and just like hanging out in the discord drafting cube for stakes arguing about like what is better than something like is wedding announcement or uh skyclave apparition a better first pick like it was really fun it was just a nice experience that i would like to have more of it also got some cool moments even what where uh, our friend Max had a, this Splinter Twin combo of this cube, which was you know, Brash Taunter and Starve Extinction. Starve yeah. Extinction, yeah. You get to just and 20 just your opponent. Easy. 21 them, because you think you can attack with the Brash Taunter. Right, of course. Uh, <laughs> Brash Taunter, a, a weird like sleeper hit of the cube. Uh, two or three times I've had opponents cast Brash Taunter against me and I've just like looked at my hand and realized that I can't possibly beat that card. So I that card went up a lot in my <laughs> rankings over the course of playing this cube. And if you're driving and do not know what Brash Taunter is, it's it's like a stuffy doll variant. It, it deals damage, you know, when it gets dealt damage. Yes. But while the ultimate execution of the cube, I think left a little bit to be desired. I, I've always enjoyed arena cubing because I like lower power level cubes in general, and this one fits the bill. I just, you know, want the color balance to be a little more even, and then I think they have something really cool going, and if they could just do regular cube opens, that would be, that just like is kind of a perfect tournament for me. I mean, if they had regular cube opens, I would probably play arena. That you'd kind of have to, right? I mean, I didn't do it for this one because it was a one-off as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if they just do another one and then another one. And then I'll be like, oh, I should I should just download Arena again. Yeah. I look forward to this one and I am looking forward to future ones. I really hope they do more. But we are not really here to talk about the cube open. We are here to talk about practicing for magic tournaments generally. 
Ash, I really enjoyed your article. And I mean, maybe we can just start with kind of a breakdown of the core concept of it, sort of the thesis statement, and then like how you got there and, and where to go from there. Yeah. So just before then, I'll talk a little bit about kind of how it came to be. So after the RC, it had been a while since we had to prep for a really high stakes two day event. And prep went fine. The process was okay. But after the tournament, I just had all these ideas and just thoughts, I guess, floating around in my head that I wanted to get down somewhere. Nobody's paying me to write about my magic thoughts or anything, but I'm I'm just going to like write something. I'll open like a blog site or like a Substack or something, and I'll just try to put my thoughts to paper. I ended up writing this article just to talk about how we practice and I guess what I considered to be practice and kind of calling that into question a little bit. I had an experience before the RC. There was an SCG in Philadelphia, which is only a couple hours from me. And I I just did horrible in this tournament. I played horribly. I did horribly. Um, all of my mistakes were just like so memorable and embarrassing. I just ended up thinking like, I play so much magic. Like I have to know better than to do the things I did this weekend. And that really got me started on, I guess, dissecting, well, what am I actually doing when I'm sitting down and quote unquote practicing? And what that ends up looking like is probably a pretty familiar scene to most competitive magic players. Like you fire up Moto, you like hop in Discord with your friends, you have like music going or like random YouTube videos and you're playing, but like, it's not a very high quality of practice. I, I think this is the sort of thing a person can end up doing a lot and telling themselves like, oh, I'm like playing so much, I have to be getting better. But in reality, you're just sort of building a bunch of bad habits and committing a bunch of not so great concepts to memory. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you have any examples of these these bad habits? Uh, I, I mean, w was there anything that you particularly like were starting to develop that you caught yourself in or anything like that? Or is it just like you start to like robot through lines that are like, yeah, this is always the line, but it is not always the line. I think that is sort of well said. Magic is like this really complicated, complex game where you can sort of like build quote unquote like okay fundamentals or whatever and kind of be shortcutting all of a lot of the decisions to the point where you're not really thinking about them. But <laughs> magic tends to be much more complex than that, right? So when we end up playing this way, you're just missing so much. I, I can think of a like pretty simple example, right? Uh, this is super bare bones basic. But when you're playing a game of magic, you develop heuristics so you don't have to think about the game so you can just like think about your strategy or you decided you've done the work and you don't want to think anymore you just want to like play games like if you're not super competitive or you're not trying very hard uh the easy example of this is you just like on magic arena you would blame the auto tapper because you're not thinking about how you're tapping your lands and you just like oh i didn't want to do that 
but it, that happens in real life too if you're not paying attention like you'll tap a field of ruin and you just definitely shouldn't have be used to being like all right colorless mana first then the colors and then you realized later down the road that you actually needed to leave that untapped because they were doing things with their lands you needed to interrupt. But you'd already put that heuristic into place turns earlier and just never given it any second thought. And that's like kind of what you're thinking, talking about, I think. Yeah, um, I listened to the last episode and Jesse was talking a little bit about these concepts and she brought up my article and she drew this distinction between mistakes and like errors of judgment and i sort of think that's what sort of what you're describing right kind of the like irl um arena auto tapper mistakes whereas if you think about them like it's, it's very obvious that this is a mistake they're not like an actual strategic decision you've made right you're just not thinking about it you've, you've shortcutted the process somewhere exactly and that was sort of kind of what my entire tournament looked like the weekend prior to the RC was just countless of these things just over and over and over again. <laughs> it left me thinking like, how I, I have to know better than this. Like I, I play so much. I would even argue that like kind of existing in this world of just heuristics where you're, you're sort of playing your games, but you're kind of checked out. You're not all the way focused. You're super distracted can really build a lot of habits that lead a player to be doing that sort of thing way more often than they should be. Yeah, I, I remember back like PTQing in like Lorwyn standard era. And I don't remember exactly like what the situation was, but I remember like I made a play and one of my friends came up and like asked me why I had made that play. And I was like, well, I, you know, they had Bitter Blossom going and I wanted to end the game more quickly, but it, you know, didn't work out for me. Uh, and I should have like been drawing cards to try to get to a Cloud Thresher or something like that. You know, I was kind of embarrassed because it hadn't worked out and because I lost the game. And but then my friend was like, but, you know, like you thought about it, you had a reason. And even though maybe looking back, it wasn't the highest percentage play. You know, there's a difference between, oh, you thought about it and you got it wrong versus like, oh, you just like didn't think about it at all. And that kind of stuck with me. And, you know, obviously I try to think about things more correctly and make the right decision. But even if I come to a wrong decision and then later figure out like, oh yeah, that that really wasn't correct. I still feel much better when I have given it some thought and have gotten it wrong rather than like, I just completely missed the, you know, oh, they're like one white mana away from a wrath. I need to like think about that fact. And I just didn't think about it at all. That's... It feels really hard to correct that kind of mistake when it's just like my brain isn't processing that. And I think that this sort of bad practice where you are just kind of like barreling through games at breakneck speed, trying to like get as much play in really doubles down on. And, and this is something that I've definitely been struggling with lately, even more so just like getting games in on arena is not a particularly good way of practicing. But when you're barreling through these games, then you don't end up with these like stop sit and think about it moments you're just like oh i got wrathed i didn't huh what hold on what happened here for sure and in my article towards the end i i identified that as a goal for myself moving forward and it was specifically a goal i took into the rc that if someone were to ask me hey ash 
Why did you do that? I would always want to have an answer after every play. And in my mind, that really just draws that distinction between you're just sort of playing off heuristics or intuition or whatever to your your present and engaged and really focused in what's going on. And I, I do think there is some level of like, you know, I'm no like Malcolm Gladwell fan or anything like that, but there is some <laughs> level of like, at certain times your gut actually does know the play better than your brain does. But uh, that's kind of dangerous to really lean into and be like, I'm a gut level player. I, I really just play by feel. And, that you know, that that's a really good way of making excuses for your play. So I, I want to jump in on that because I started doing something recently that's kind of weird where I, I noticed the same like phenomenon that you brought up. Like I, I had a gut feeling about something. I actually started writing it down how often I went with it or didn't go with it and how often I was right. <laughs> and this was playing Flesh and Blood because that's just the game I've been playing more of. Like over 80% of the time, I just was right to go with my gut, even thinking it through, uh, which is interesting. But I like actually took the time to like write down, all right, get a little tally chip here. We'll see how this ends up at the end of the game. My hand reads usually come straight from my gut, which is probably something that I need to work on is why do I think that they have a removal spell here? Like what's making me think that instead of me just like being sure of it? Like what have they done oh. that's made me like, oh yeah, they have a removal spell here. See, that's, yeah, that's where I go. I I always think about why mm -hmm. I think that. And usually I have the answer. I just... Yeah, you just need to dig for it a little bit. Yeah. I think though we do end up building these sort of kind of like i don't know sub intuition? subconscious it, it not just intuition but what ccr was saying about vibe <laughs> check I, I don't know like you're, <laughs> yeah what's the, what's the vibe of my opponent's plays yeah, yeah it's just you play so much and you have played through the same play pattern so many times that th there probably is a reason even if you don't have access to it in that moment well I think it's a big, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast, but there, it's like an extension of like the Brad Nelson approach to standard gameplay, which is like, I want to know how the first four turns of every matchup play out and what are all of the normal ways that they play out. And then when my opponent does anything that's like out of sequence in those first four turns that's a little bit weird that's like not oh yeah they cast stomp on turn two they do this they or they cast uh a blood tithe connoisseur or whatever here this if they're doing anything weird then that immediately gives me all this information about their hand and if you think about that consciously when you're approaching like a standard format what are the first four turns of the game you know this this whole higher order philosophy is, is sort of you can apply that to more than just the first four turns of the game sometimes like often you will pick up things based on weird plays based on mana being held up whatever it's just you know the deeper you go into a game the more variables there are and the harder it is to come to a definitely correct conclusion but you know that that brad nelson philosophy i think is is really kind of at the core of how you can start understanding like where do my reads come from? No, no, I don't know who's supposed to talk. There's too many people. Uh, anybody, anybody can go. <laughs> I was just yeah, so, opening up the floor. I don't know where to talk about this, but I, I did want to talk about the sort of reception of my article was just insane. As, as 
to me, as I was saying earlier, I, I really just thought that I would, you know, like open a Substack, just like put some of my random thoughts into an article, post it on Twitter, and like a few of my friends would see it, read it, maybe get something out of it. But that is not what happened, and it it just blew me away. There was just an an inpouring of positive reception. I, I don't I don't know how else to say it. It was just getting just retweeted and quote tweeted. I, I'm very glad that so many people got whatever it is they got out of my article or found it so helpful. But yeah, even getting DMs from people saying like, oh, I did well with my RCQ and uh, I attribute some of the things you talked about in your article to like really helping me prep for this tournament or no, it's good. I think mostly it's just very, very well written and people don't talk about this very much. Uh, it's usually kind of just in the asides of like the generic banana article, the tournament prep article, like, you know, bring a snack, do whatever, practice intentionally. It's just like kind of a side note. But this brings it into focus. This is a practical account of consequences and actions how they have an effect it's really refreshing to read one thing that it made me really think about and kind of put into stark contrast and i know that i have not been preparing for tournaments in an optimal way and part of that is just i don't have the ability to like sit down with a testing team and really like work out roles and figure out what everybody's job is and that sort of thing. But part of it is also that I kind of use the excuse of like, I play magic for fun and yeah, I'm going to have the TV on and I'm going to do a cube draft before I start working on something. And maybe that means I don't play any pioneer today if I don't feel like it or whatever, which I mean, don't burn yourself out. Don't play magic when you don't feel like playing magic just because you have a tournament coming up. Like you got to figure out what your goals are. But I, I started realizing like my approach to preparing for a tournament, I haven't set about it in a very deliberate way, which is very different from when I was an athlete. And, you know, I didn't play football or basketball or anything. I ran track and cross country. But when you're preparing for a big athletic event, you have your calendar, you have your target date. And then you have your workouts leading up to that date. You have whatever other mental practice or stretching or other like components that go into prepping you for the tournament. And you set it all out and you figure out what your schedule is. You figure out how to fit it all in with enough rest in between each one. You don't get up each day and go like, all right, what do I feel like doing today to prep me for this race? When you're doing that, you've already decided like you're not going to run a good race. You're not getting good workouts and you're not getting good prep in because you haven't planned it out and you haven't set up like this is the schedule that's going to work the best for accomplishing my goals. And I think that if you are taking a tournament seriously, so much thought and effort and like human mental energy has gone into this is how you prepare to be an athlete. And I think this is not that different and taking more lessons from athletic training like makes a lot of sense and it's something that is in my past and i haven't really used in a way that i probably should 
And so it, it specifically made me want to start preparing for a tournament the way that I would prepare for an important race. And I, I think I'm going to kind of use that next time. Yeah, it's it's really interesting when we look at the development of esports and sort of the rise of competitive video games and all of the money in them and how much is at stake, you saw pretty immediately the sort of melding of, I don't want to say historical knowledge, like... Um, but like cult, sports culture. Yeah, just sort of everything we as a society know about how to get athletes to compete and perform was sort of instantly adopted by the world of esports, like in their teams. Yeah. They even started wearing the jerseys, which I still think is very silly. <laughs> it, it is kind of silly, but yeah, they have scheduled practice and coaches and scrimmages and sports psychologists, sports psychologists and, yeah. and post-match review. And it it's, it's sort of interesting that like, Magic is very Wild West in terms of how people seem to go about getting better or accomplishing their goals. Like, there's a little bit of, like, freelance coaching infrastructure. Of course, people kind of get together with their friends and form testing groups before events. I, I feel like there's, like, a lot more that serious players could be doing, and I would I would like to see a lot of that implemented. And... Scheduled, uh, scheduled games and scheduled times to play is something I'm starting to see pop up a bit more that I was pushing for in some of the testing groups I've been a part of this year. And I, I think that's a step in the right direction. It just adds more structure to it. Like you, <laughs> it's kind of like what CCR was saying exactly. Like if you, if your goal in getting your practice reps in, even with the testing team, it's just like, you know, wake up, get on the Discord, see who's on and ready for games is not like intentional enough for practice. Right. You might not get the games that you need to get in. If you know, like, I need to practice against Gruel for this tournament because I need to figure out what they're sideboarding against me and what actually works. Are they keeping in there? What's the what's the saga? The Gruel saga. Um, Brothers War? Oh, no, 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 no. The Acron War. Yeah. The Acron War. Yeah, that one. I like, are they keeping in their Acron Wars against me? Are, is it good against me? And like, you know, you need to answer those questions. But then the only person who's on at the time when you're testing is somebody who doesn't really know that much about Gruel. Then, okay, maybe you can do something else, but you're not answering the question that you needed to get answered that day. And then maybe you never actually end up like having that testing session that you need to have. And I think that. You know, like I didn't test all of the matchups that I needed to test. I ended up playing against Blue White, which I've played against in leagues, but I know that it's a hard matchup. I, I like that was my last round of day one of the RC and I needed to win. It was a win and into day two and I've played against it in leagues. I knew his sideboard. I could play reasonably against it. But if I had gotten one of my friends who is good at playing control decks to play a couple of sets of blue white against me and I could feel out like what are the different sideboard strategies then I would have been more confident and I that's actually something that I knew I needed to do but never really got a chance to and never really focused on making it happen and I think that setting up a more focused testing schedule figuring out like 
at the beginning of the testing season. Like, what are the questions that I need to get answered here and how am I going to answer them is really, and obviously that list is going to edit and change because you get more information in Magic. You don't necessarily get more information over time in sports, but as that list changes, you figure out, you adapt your schedule. But when you sit down to get some practice in, you should always try to figure out what kind of questions you're trying to answer that t- that day and how you're doing that. I, I have an example. It's just not super relevant. That's so. fine. That's never been, that's never stopped us before. Well, I, it, this conversation reminds me a lot of uh, FGC practice, uh, which is weird because usually it's just online ladder, which has been huge for getting a lot of new people into the scene and stuff like that. Uh, but those players quickly reach a cap because if you're just jamming games on the ladder every day and that's how you get your practice, you like fail when you're playing against someone who's playing like a least a less popular character like a character specialist and you just don't know what to do against someone who's that accomplished on that that particular like archetype Mm -hmm. whereas you know if you give a little time to you know hit up a skilled player of that caliber and you just figure out what you're doing then you you have more success this is just this is what i went through my mind going through that Magic doesn't really have a good parallel because it's a lot more broad. Yeah, it's hard uh, to pick a main or whatever and just stick with it. Yeah, people develop niches and uh, certainly, like, I think most players who are playing a lot, people kind of get a sense of, like, what they like to play, what they gravitate towards. I, I think the FGC is just always just my favorite example or like thing to talk about when we're talking about competitive sports the players in the fgc are some of the most skilled and dedicated competitive player base i i've ever seen and just the hours those people put into just going into the smallest details into yeah (laughs) like i need to i need to block this sequence let me practice this for hours and hours literally there are people you know, call, call them whatever, researchers, labbers, whatever, who will just go in and spend hours studying frame data of minutia. And these people are worshipped <laughs> because not everyone has the patience or like willingness to do this. And they'll just share their findings. And everyone's like, oh my God, this guy said, you know, it's plus two on block. So I'm going to follow that. <laughs> just, I don't know if either of you watch any um, much FGC. I imagine you watch Evo at the very least because Evo's sick. It's everyone watches evo uh i'm a huge melee fan like a i play a little bit but mostly as a spectator and just the things people are able to do in that game it it just like it pushes the limits of humanity i don't i don't don't know how to i don't know how to put it it's just so insane well and it it it's so stark when it is a almost zero variance game that is like entirely skill-based like you know, I, I could beat on on a good day. I could beat anybody at Magic, right? But I could never beat anybody who goes to any of these FGC tournaments ever. That's what's so sick about the the FGC. It's like you yeah. you play against someone, and if you're better than them, like you're just gonna crush them. Or if they're better than you, there's no hiding it. In Magic, you can kind of like, you know, I had a had a rough day. My draws just weren't so good. Maybe I should mulligan a little more. But which is like kind of one of the 
beautiful parts of magic is like the variance is really important to making it a fun game and making it accessible and making each game kind of new and exciting oh certainly but it does i think allow for some level of disguising inadequacies in your own game and and sort of papering over them and i think that's something that probably we all need to work on a little bit at least no well one of the things i like to remind people of including myself uh is we're playing a card game you you literally signed up to play variants when you sat down you can't complain about it you just have to be aware of it and try to control it like you you can do bad beat stories and whatever that's not going to do anything it's funny i have a whole section uh I, i do a little bit of freelance coaching myself and i have a whole section in like an intro document uh basically just saying everything you said it's like if your mental's bad and you can't deal with variants essentially like okay go play street fighter what why are you why are you playing magic if uh you know, like you've signed up for a game where if your Pro Tour Hall of Famer versus your is like 60% or whatever to beat some regular competent moto grinder mm-hmm. in at a given tournament, it's a very slight edge and very thin margins. Right. Anybody who's talking about how many die rolls they've won on the day, it's like, well, you had the wrong mental state to top eight this tournament anyway, so you weren't you probably weren't getting there. It always blows my mind when people tell me that they rattle off that stat. It's like I I don't think I've kept track from like round to round, much less like throughout a weekend. I don't remember who went first in the game like two turns into the game. Like I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out what's going on right now. <laughs> I I've had people ask me how many die rolls I've won after they've complained about like winning or losing a die roll and i just be like i always say the same thing about half of them it averages out in the end and it cuts both ways the variance like you notice it a lot more when you're on the receiving end of the bad beats but you know sometimes your opponent just draws a land the turn they needed to draw literally anything and you win yeah it, it like ccr was saying it's what makes magic sweet it's a game where Anybody can go to their like local SCG Open or local Grand Prix and just end up like spiking it and they're like their FM store legend for the weekend or for the following month. That's just not something that could ever happen in so many other competitive endeavors. Right. If you're not one of the Smash Gods or whatever, then you don't you know, you're just some some person. Pool fodder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean we we're not gonna come up with like the platonic ideal of a training schedule for a a magic tournament like right here on a podcast but i I would like to talk a little bit about like what would you visualize as like this is how i would start setting up a prep schedule for a tournament like what are people missing from their scheduling from or or, you know probably what they're missing to start with is that they're not scheduling as you have like learned that didn't work for you going into that SEG tournament and then you kind of switch things around going into regionals like how how do we start setting up a practice schedule that is actually going to do work for us and help us like get ready for a tournament I kind of think about this in two ways and I know you asked me how would I prep for a tournament specifically 
you got to get your base mileage in too. Like being just like in shape is part of it as well. Not just targeting one event. Yeah. I sort of see the main difference of after that weekend, just like a total mindset shift to if I'm sitting down and playing magic and I still want to be good at the game and I want to be getting better at the game, then I need to be doing so with that goal in mind. I think it's great if people want to sit down and cube and play magic and have fun. But as someone who has goals in the game that I want to accomplish, there's something that really stood out to me. And I think I talked about this in the article over the weekend where I sat down and was just kind of like hanging out, waiting for the next round to start. I was already dead for the tournament and it went up and I was debating on whether it was even going to go play. And I looked at my, my phone, my table was right there. So I just went to play. I like didn't play very well. just sort of autopiloted, just checked out. And afterwards I was sort of complaining about not me losing, but the fact that I like, wasn't thinking about some decisions. Then I said something like to, to my friend, Brittany Davis, um, well, it doesn't matter. Like I wasn't playing for anything. And she said, okay, well, I, I hear you, but why are you playing at all then? Hearing that really kind of sent me <laughs> like, yeah, it's my favorite quote in that entire article. Every time you sit down to play magic, it doesn't matter why, just when you're at the game, f- figure out why are you playing? If it's, you're in a cube with your buddies and you're having fun, you know, go do that. That's fine. Cool. Whatever. doesn't matter. And I mean, I do want to emphasize, though, that that is a completely legitimate and great reason to play a game of Magic is just to enjoy yourself. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not diminishing my favorite way to play yeah. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are, you know, on a league, signing up for a Moto League in the pretense of practicing for a tournament, you better treat that game like it's practiced for a tournament, not just... All right, keep my hand, lands and spells, forest, <laughs> my worlds, go. Certainly. <laughs> kind of deal. And when it gets into like actual, okay, well, you've gotten together with your buddies, you've formed a little testing group, you're prepping with some nebulous goal in mind of like, I want to do well at this tournament. I, I think wherever you can get it, your group and you individually will benefit from structure. And I think this is achieved through asking yourself like what are what are we trying to do here what are we trying to learn like you were talking about earlier i i need to know if gruel aggro is or gruel vehicles midrange is going to leave in the crow and war against me or if that card is even good in this matchup or what should i do if people are doing that and i think just sort of having a checklist of like Everything you're trying to learn from every matchup or whatever primary important pieces of information you are trying to get before you go into the tournament, playing with intention to get those. And and then once you have that of what are we trying to get out of our work here, building a schedule to, you know, make that happen. Who's going to play what decks? When are you guys going to play? Is anyone going to be watching? I think kind of in line with what we were talking about with traditional sports approaches and post-match review. I, I think that's something that Magic players don't do nearly enough 
and would benefit hugely from is just going into Moto, opening your VOD, and just like picking it apart. My one of my favorite. I'm sorry. Are you done? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> one of my favorite ways to intentionally practice is and, and i know this isn't super feasible all the time because of the manpower required but it's when you have one person playing the game or two people playing the game and then one person watching without saying anything giving any advice or anything just watching the game and then after the match is over you go through it uh, that's a lot of what coaching does too but you know without the live that structure but when a lot of people just hop into like a discord call and play magic the impulse is always to if not on the observers to offer their opinion unsolicited the player to be like hey what would you guys do here and i think both of those things are a mistake uh you sh unless you you know have an intentional question you're seeking but if you're just like there's a downtime you have people around and you can ask them for advice it's often tempting to just do that everyone has played a team tournament where you're playing with your friends and either you or your teammate um, says, hey, wh what would you do here? And your friend who is not paying attention to your game at all looks over, glances at your board, and fires off just some horrible advice. Some, like, <laughs> some just dog water line that is going to lose you the match. And I, I, I couldn't agree more that in the actual like middle of the game it's seldom very useful to say hey what would you do here to a person who has not been playing the game since since turn one I, and that's why i don't love you know having the kind of chaotic discord calls like i'm in i'm just in this chat with six or seven people and we're all kind of like playing magic and doing different things like it's fun like don't get me wrong like that is fun it's my favorite way like doing it during the like during cube stuff is great but if you are prepping for a tournament like i think you keep it small keep it quiet keep it focused and like my favorite way to play is with one person and we kind of two-headed giant a game whether we're playing leagues or whatever because it forces me to justify my plays to the person who i am like co-oping the game with rather and i cannot just autopilot through because if they're not doing the clicking and stuff then they can be like why did why did you do that and then i'll be like well you always play wrecking your bank buster on turn two. and it's like no that's not what you do here that's that's just wrong um and i think that that like one-on-one -on -one, like just having somebody to ask you why you're doing this stuff even if they're not that experienced with the deck they can just ask why you do that and it, you can give an explanation and they can evaluate if it makes sense or not and so that has been really good testing and even if you are playing against one of your friends i think like one of the ideal ways is to kind of have two heads on each side and then at the end of the game you come back and like ideally if you were really treating this like a sports team running like doing drills and running tape then you'd run back the tape of that game and you would all come in and talk about it afterward that's a level of organization that i don't know if we're ever gonna i, I hope we see it a group of magic players yeah i i definitely think testing groups would benefit from smaller groups and just way more focused sticking with our theme of quality over quantity <laughs> maybe in a literal sense here I mean, anyone can play like five leagues leading up to a tournament. It was or 50 leagues. 
extreme, but <laughs> can do it. That's just not super useful because even let's go to the Crowan War example we just keep using forever. <laughs> <laughs> if you're trying to figure out a matchup, if, a, if the Crowan War is good, uh, you and you you and your testing group can come to the conclusion that the Crowan War is just not good in this matchup. But when you're at the tournament, your opponent may not have come to that conclusion. So you kind of just have to know how the games play out both ways and what should be done in a, under either circumstance, which is not something you just get by just jamming leaves. You, that literally happened to me in the RC. I played against Gruel, game two, I like flipped a thing in the ice, was 100% to win, and then my opponent just slams a crow in war, seals my thing in the ice. And I was like, I should not have assumed that my opponent felt the same way about the Akron War as my friends did. And I lost that game, and then I had to quickly reevaluate and, and not lose to the Akron War in Game 3. Uh, I, I was going to say, that that made me think of something. I was going to say something to what Lee said, which is, he said anyone can play just like a ton of leagues, five leagues, whatever, leading up to an event. And you can play moto like five leagues a day or some absurd amount all day every day and just never get much better and just sort of stagnate there like this is entirely possible for a lot of those same reasons you were just bringing up but um magic is this has sort of like a weird information culture where like there can be like a game of telephone around like oh is this card good in this matchup yes and Mm -hmm. And someone will have, by the end of it, like, someone will have a really strong opinion, but they've, like, never played either side of this matchup, and they've just heard, like, a couple people whose opinions they respect say that this card is bad in this matchup. And then that becomes the truth. <laughs> and it, until... it, yes, it becomes the truth. Like, no one, people stop bringing it in. And... But then you play against somebody at X2 who maybe hasn't heard the truth, and they do bring it in, and then they beat the crap out of you with it. Or you play against somebody in the top eight who has heard the truth and has decided it's wrong, and then they bring it in, and they beat the crap out of you with it. like that, Or that it's exploitable. Yeah, exactly. Which is also something that happens. <laughs> yeah. Like, if, if people are doing a specific thing, like, always warding in the Encroach War against X deck and you are keeping it in and you know that they're doing that and you can exploit it. That's just another part of the game, which is why magic is a good game. Yeah. I liked your silence example in your article as a specific, a, a specific example of this. Like silence isn't good against gruel, except now I know how this gruel opponent is boarding and playing against me and silence is good against this gruel opponent. Like think about your things before you like just, do the decision yeah essentially heuristics and common knowledge are like they're great and that's why we we put in the work and they're very important but they're never like they at at this level they shouldn't be an excuse to 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 just Mm -hmm. to, to shortcut having to think about it i guess it's a sideboard guide not a sideboard law yes i like that it's a sideboard theory Yeah, I I have been giving this a lot of thought now, especially like prepping for this episode and stuff. And I, uh, it takes resources to prepare perfectly for a tournament. Like my platonic ideal of tournament preparation is going to involve a focus testing team of people who are all like committed and probably more committed than I am realistically going to be getting ready for a tournament. So I need to, it's probably also important to 
set your expectations realistically and figure out what you actually can and can't accomplish. Like we're no, we're not going at this full time. We're not professional magic players who can watch hours of games and discuss every single game we play at like, I mean, maybe like maybe you cut down the number of games you play so that you can talk about every one of them and try to be more deliberate about every single one. But there are sacrifices that you have to make in order to do it the way that you want to do it. And you also have to get other people on board with the, you know, more deliberate pacing, more focused thinking about each game, each play. It would also be, I'm sure we've brought this up already, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> it, it's It'd be helpful if people, if their goal for, you know, a tournament's coming up, the goal is not to win the tournament because theoretically that is everyone's goal in the tournament uh, a better goal to practice would be all right i want to learn how to play against eldrazi tron because it's coming back into the format people are playing it more that's just my goal for today i'm not gonna like all right i want to top eight the tournament so i'm gonna play games yeah i hear that all the time <laughs> and it's a, it's the same for everything not just magic but like process-based goals are much more useful than result-based goals like setting goals of consistency and goals of the type of practice that you want to get in like my goal with like weightlifting or running is not to run a particular time in a race or to lift a particular weight it's to get my reps in and do the training that i have decided that i should do and it's pretty similar for magic yeah even just by virtue of bringing more intention into your process you're, you're you're going to benefit from that you also get the part where you have a goal in mind and then you realize that like an intentional goal and then you realize that it's not important but that's okay because you you realize that (laughs) (laughs) right and that's the thing like if you do set a schedule for yourself and you do set a list of questions like you are gonna also have to be flexible about that as information changes as availability changes and you, you can't like don't go the opposite way from the like hey it's 5 p.m i have some time to play magic what should i do today to get ready for the tournament i guess i'll play a league uh you know you don't want to go a million percent the other way where you're not flexible and like one person not being able to show up like throws off all of your your preparation plans for that evening so definitely something to think about and i'm trying to think now i'm trying to think of like specific people that i want to drag in and like get get going to get tournament prep work go i I don't know it's it's kind of exciting to think about a better way of doing it and try to figure out who and how to make that happen with it's it's certainly a lot of fun to prep for tournaments and get in the testing teams and the the sort of um races to the best deck or the best sideboard plan or having something that you think your team is doing better than the other teams it's it that feeling is like a drug that a lot of people get really into myself included i i've never really been on the like true inside of that i'm just like when i was able to put more time into actually testing i was kind of doing other stuff and now i am a little too much of a grown-up with a little too many grown-up responsibilities but honestly like just being around 
uh, Lotus box towards the end of the SEG era and like being around them doing that. Like it was really fun and really exciting. And um, I kind of just miss being a, a small part of that and just being around them while they were doing that. And it would be cool to kind of figure out a way to bring that energy into and, you know, with some kind of new philosophies, new strategies. I think surrounding yourself with good players is a really important step in the process of becoming a good player. I will say that if, you know, you're in an isolated region, you don't have a lot of very good players around you. There's usually one person who's just better than you at something and just have them have play with them, make them ask questions. Like I know every, not everyone is in like a hotbed of magic talent, but that's not really an excuse. Like if people are playing around you, especially today with magic online and, discord and exactly yeah it, it is it is hard to reach out though i get that <laughs> it is it's tough to put yourself out there especially with people that you don't know that well yet i feel like there's got to be some answers to that i mean there's communities online but everything is a little bit gatekept and and some of that is for good reason and some of that is for you know not as good of a reason so there there are definitely challenges there I, I, that that is one thing that I have always felt like it's obviously good advice. It has always been true is like play with people who are better than you in order to get better. And that's just been advice from the beginning of competitive magic that has always been correct. Executing on that can be a little bit more difficult if you don't find yourself like naturally immersed in a pool of people who are better than you. Finding that group can be definitely difficult. But if you really want to make it happen, I think there are resources there are ways to make that happen yeah i mean tournaments themselves are structured in a way where anyone can sort of work themselves up through that ladder right i mean all you can do is beat the person in front of you and if you keep doing that eventually it's going to be paul peter domodorosa or nathan stoyer whoever you know <laughs> true but it's not just playing against people who are better than you it's talking through the lines and figuring out what you did and getting a bunch of so that I, I but of i do course. get what you're saying like you gotta battle and you gotta play against good players there was a point where someone asked how i knew collins and i'm just like yeah magic and they're like no but but how and i just kind of came to the realization that i just played so much magic and just naturally gravitated towards strong players i just like collected them <laughs> shout out to colin's cat lutri yeah <laughs> the menace absolute terror i love colin's cat I, I i'm an enjoyer of the cats of magic where <laughs> players who love to tweet pictures of their cats or uh etc edgar has a very cute cat named paisley <laughs> yeah i gotta post more simon pictures i guess i'm, I'm in a feud with lutri because he's a kitten so he's extremely hyperactive it makes for extreme irritation sometimes <laughs> but then he's like you know two minutes later the most adorable cat you've ever seen so he's a very cute cat i mean that's how they get away with it though that's the only way you can have a really bad cat is if they're really cute too i don't know what else and anything else that we should talk about on this topic before we wrap up yeah i i can't really think of anything else unless there are some things you guys wanted to talk about I think that we covered like most of the stuff that I wanted to hit. I I think this is a good, you know, we're not going to solve practicing 
for magic like prepping for magic tournaments on this pod one episode of this podcast but i think this is a good I, I also guarantee like you know in 10 years if someone listens to the podcast they'll be like yeah really good points yeah people don't do that at all because it's just how it's always <laughs> almost be. assuredly it's the eternal struggle and just knowing about it is half the battle and i mean we don't need to change everybody's minds like the point is to get a resource out there and then people who want to start changing their prep like have a little bit more information and then they can develop their own strategies and learn things and and advance from there yeah and if at this point in the podcast somehow you have not read ash's article you should go do that (laughs) it is on our twitter just shutter mtg uh but it's also you know we'll link it in the show notes i guess is that a thing we can do <laughs> yes i will link it in the show notes and then i i have no idea if how many people actually know how to go to the show notes of a podcast episode on their app but it'll it'll be there it is my pin tweet yeah okay pin tweet perfect if you can't figure out the show notes but it is very detailed has a lot of examples that are very well written out and you'll be like oh yeah i could easily see myself making that situation so Yes. Yeah, I'm... it's more information dense than this episode, but you know that's just how articles versus podcasts kind of work out. <laughs> of course, we're super casual, you know. Articles they've they've got you know structure. I am very <laughs> excited to see where competitive magic is going with sort of the return of the pro tour and the return of all these structured events and just sort of what testing teams what comp magic looks like in a few years and the development of practice and structure within testing teams and individuals so how different if at all it will end up looking i bet not a lot is going to like visibly change on the outside for most people but the combination of the pro tour coming back and also we have all had to like move most of our practice and testing groups online but that can be really efficient and a really powerful tool to prep i think naturally things are going to develop and more more optimization is just going to kind of have to happen also can we please just love anurag with all our hearts (laughs) just bringing us coverage uh i think that's a super important aspect of magic that is sadly continued to be overlooked if NRG uh, does a great job too. But. If you were to take anything away from this podcast, it would be give Anurag your money. He deserves all of it. <laughs> um, maybe take out a second mortgage on your house, whatever you have to do to make sure that man is well taken care of. He does so much for competitive magic and tournament coverage, and uh, we don't deserve any of it, but he does it anyway. I mean, we're okay. <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's a lot of work. <laughs> Anza D M T G on Twitter got a link to all his stuff. Just just help him out. Yeah, he's the best. He's he's like doing the Lord's work in bringing magic coverage. Uh, something unfortunately Wizards is not doing a great job on. Yeah. But yeah, those are our plugs for the end of this episode. Uh, NCD MTG, send him some cash, Shutter MTG, read that article. And I think that's it. Have a great week. Ash, thank you so much. We really appreciate this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. See y'all later. Bye, everyone. <laughs>